Welcome to Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam, a podcast about navigating adolescence without losing our minds. Each week, I guide you around the teenage landmines with practical tips, simple solutions, and words of encouragement. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. Let's get on with the show. Here we go. Do you dread your teen's emotional outburst? Is it difficult to calm them down once they get riled up? Do you want to end the exhausting fights and power struggles? If so, this episode is for you. Today, I'm joined by lawyer-turned-peacemaker, Douglas E. Knoll. Doug is the co-founder of Prison of Peace, author of several books, including De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less, and the creator of the Knoll Affect Labeling System. He currently trains inmates in maximum security prisons to be peacemakers and mediators. Douglas is going to teach us how to use his method with our teenagers so we can have some peace at home once and for all. Welcome, Douglas. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks, Dr. Kim. It'll be a great conversation. Yeah. So let's start with a brief backstory. What inspired you to become a professional peacemaker? I uh, grew up in Southern California and went to Dartmouth College. And back in those days, if you didn't become a doctor, you became a lawyer. So I came back <laughs> to California. Your two choices, right? After after college and went to law school up in Sacramento. And then didn't I had job offers in the Bay Area and LA, but I didn't want to live in urban California. So I moved here to Central California, where I've lived for the last 45 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, clerked for a judge for a year and then went into private practice as a young associate in a law firm that specialized in commercial litigation and bankruptcy. And I tried my first jury trial six weeks after joining the firm, which is kind of unheard of. Yeah. And that's how my career started. In the next 22 years, I was a pretty hardcore trial lawyer. Um, Along the way, I picked up the martial arts and ultimately started studying Tai Chi. And after I got my secondary black belt, I started studying Tai Chi. And Tai Chi has two paradoxes. The first is the softer you are, the stronger you are. And the other paradox is the more vulnerable you are, the more powerful you are. Well, those didn't compute with me. (laughs) Neither one. You're like, nope, I don't care. (laughs) But I kept practicing Tai Chi and they seeped into my soul until one Mm. day in the courtroom in the late 90s thinking, what the heck am I doing in here? Mm. And that's when the shift occurred. After that trial, I had a vacation plan, a whitewater trip up in Idaho with a bunch of friends. We had a permit to run the Maine salmon. So... 10 days I spent just thinking about how many people I'd really served as a trial lawyer and concluded that truly serving people, maybe only five people. Mm. In- so that led me to question what I was doing again. And the universe provides, I was driving out of the mountains down to my office after that trip and heard a public service announcement for a new degree, master's degree in peacemaking and conflict studies mm. being offered at Fresno Pacific university, which is, um, one of the West Coast Mennonite universities. And so I enrolled. And ultimately, to make an, a long, very long story short, uh, my partners and I couldn't agree on what my practice would look like. They were didn't like the peacemaking stuff at all. Hmm. I was the second largest earner in the firm, and they just saw the golden goose going away, and they weren't happy about that. I wasn't happy with how they were treating me, so I gave them a week's notice and walked out left $10 million on the table Hmm. and started my peacemaking practice on November 1st, 2000. And that's how it all started. Wow. And so since then, 
How did you get into working with inmates? Well, ten years now, ten years goes by. What yeah. happened? I discovered I had an epiphany in two thousand and five in a very difficult mediation about how to de-escalate angry people. Because mm -hmm. one thing I didn't learn, I learned a lot in my master's degree program. It was an amazing, transformative experience for me. But 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 nobody really knew how to calm people down. Yeah. I finally discovered how to do it in two thousand five, and then two years later in two thousand seven out of Matthew Lieberman's lab at UCLA, a brain scanning study came out showing why this de-escalation technique works so well. So I began teaching it and mm -hmm. started getting known for being able to do this. And, and in 2009, I got a call from my dear friend, Laurel Coffer, who received a letter from a woman serving a life sentence without possibility of parole in the largest, most violent women's prison in the world, Valley mm -hmm. Prison for Women in Chowchilla, California, which happens to be about an hour, 20 minutes from where I live. And basically, this woman, Susan Russo, was asking the world to come in and train the lifers in the prison how to become peacemakers to stop the prison violence. And Laurel read the called me up because I, when I don't live too far from the prison, and two, she know, knew me as a really powerful trainer, and three, uh, I have my de-escalation skills, and four, I was a secondary black belt, so she thought it was we we'd be you good. might be safe there right, right yeah exactly and read, read me the letter and said what do you think and i said i think we should do this mm. and so we did and so march april of 2010 we started training our first cohort of 15 women all serving life or long-term sentences how to be peacemakers and mediators wow. and that's how it started today we're in, active in 15 california prisons we're in uh, a prison in connecticut prison in italy 15 prisons in greece and we've got startups in the United States, North America, and floating around as people are beginning to. And our whole program, the pandemic pivoted us to uh, film our entire program. So we got it on Blu-ray disc. And that's a whole story in itself. But yeah, now it's amazing. we can deliver prison of peace just about anywhere. And in California, about 600 or so of our students who graduated from our program have been released on parole. Not one of them has reoffended. That is a great statistics. Yeah. That is amazing. Powerful. So, so teach us a little bit because we we don't have those we don't have kids there yet. Some of us, I think, are a little freaked out about it when we see the amount of emotion that comes out of our teens, and I know it causes so much conflict in this roller coaster. Right. How can we take this technique and apply it with our teens so we're not constantly in these states of power struggles and just overwhelm? The first thing that we have to do is shift our view of human nature. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we've been trained for 4,000 years that what makes us human is our rationality, our reasoning. Well, it turns out there's no such thing as rationality, mm -hmm. that you can't find a good definition of it. And the economic the economists have even abandoned the concept of rationality and rational decision-making. It's, it's, so being rational, thinking we can be rational is irrational. That's correct. Okay. There is, I teach a course called Decision Making Under Uncertainty at Pepperdine, mm -hmm. at the Strauss Institute graduate course. Yeah. And I teach my students that there is no such thing as rationality. All decisions are emotional. Yeah. Every behavior is an emotionally based behavior where it's either aversive or appetitive. In other words, pleasant. So we, uh, we're attracted or we move away from or avoid stuff. That's all emotion. Every decision is an emotional decision. We are 98% emotional and 2% rational. And guess what? Our kids are the same way. Oh, yeah, absolutely are. Totally emotionally beings. Yep. 
and teen, teens in particular, because they're going through the change of life, puberty, and um, they are particularly emotional beings. Mm -hmm. So the rule, rule is de-escalate, then problem solve. Never try to solve an emotional problem with logic or reasoning or critical thinking or anything like that. It will never work. We all Thank know you for saying that. Yes, we all I know this, but yes. we, but because we don't have the tools that really work, we revert back to stuff that doesn't work. Right. Which does more damage. It, it does. does infinitely more damage. So the, so here's how we de-escalate. It's a three-step process. Number one, if you're dealing with a teenager and the teenager angry, for example, ignore the words. Just mm -hmm. don't even try to listen to your teen. Yeah. It, it's white noise. Number two, read your teen's emotions. They're open books. And we're all really good at reading emotions, even though we don't have a lot of practice at it. And in my workshops, I teach you how to read emotions. It's pretty mm -hmm. simple. Figure it out. Read the emotions. And then the last step is you're going to tell your teenager what they're feeling with the you statement. You're really angry. You're pissed off. You're upset. You feel disrespected. You don't feel heard. You don't feel listened to. You don't feel supported or appreciated. You're anxious and worried. And you feel a little bit of shame. And you're sad. There's no connection and you feel distressed and upset and you feel completely abandoned and rejected, unloved, and you feel unlovable. Nobody loves you. Yeah. And even right there, you can feel, you feel, you can feel it inside yourself, mm -hmm. even if you're not upset. Yeah. Uh, everybody feels that. And so what that does is what the brain scanning studies show is that the emotions are highly escalated. They're activated. And when you affect label in the way that I just demonstrated, the emotional centers are inhibited. And at the same time, the right ventral lateral prefrontal cortex is activated. That's the executive function. And we can regain access to our emotional database and connect feelings to words, which it has a calming effect. Yeah. When the prefrontal cortex is overwhelmed, it loses connection to that database. And now we're just reactive. And and so we can't we can't think we can't make decisions can't do anything right not only are they in a reactive state we're in a reactive right. state so nobody's thinking right? right so when you affect label you tell people what they're feeling using a use statement do mm -hmm. not use active listening in fact if you learned active listening I thank you for that too I don't I don't do active listening either because it backfires badly forget forget what you ever learned it's a complete yeah. And yeah. misunderstanding of the work of, of Thomas Gordon back in the 1950s, yeah. who was studied under Carl Rogers. People just don't get it. Mental health people, mediators, everybody using. Uh, so what do I mean by active listening? It's like, oh, what I think you're feeling is X. So it's an I statement. You never, ever, ever use an I statement when you're yeah. reflecting somebody else's feelings or emotions. It's always yeah. simply you statement. You only use an I statement when you are talking about your own feelings. Right. When socks are left on the floor, I, I feel completely disrespected and angry, and it really upsets me. Mm -hmm. That's an appropriate use of an I statement. Right. But it's not appropriate to use an I statement when you're reflecting what somebody else is saying or feeling. So that active listening stuff, throw it away, get rid of it, never use it again. It it's just doesn't work. Yeah. And, and I think parents know this because they try it and they get big eye rolls from their kids and they're That's like, right. What's wrong with my kids that they don't yeah. listen to active listening or they tell active listening to the work? Yeah, it's, it's insulting. Yeah, it is. And it, for a whole bunch of different reasons that we don't need to go into. So yeah. the reflection is going to be a you statement. Mm -hmm. You are. And you're going to just state the emotion that you see. 
you're going to do this until you get four unconscious automatic relaxation responses. I'm nodding mm. at the head. Uh, exactly. Or yeah. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a dropping of the shoulders and a sigh of relief. Mm. When you get those four, and they're automatic and unconscious, mm -hmm. then you've de-escalated. Nice. Um, now, teenagers can be a little tricky because they feel they're emotionally unsafe. They feel emotionally unsafe all the time. And yes. actually, we start, we start learning about that the, uh, that the universe is an emotionally unsafe place between six and eight years old. And that's when most people's maturation process stops. This is based on the work of, of uh, Gordon Neufeld, the Neufeld Institute in Vancouver, BC. And he's a brilliant man. And, and, and he says that the pro most of the problems we have is because of stunted emotional maturation because mm. parents don't know how to coach their children's emotions and so yeah. we just we end up not growing and teenage so teenagers carry this into their teen years and of course they're going through all kinds of hormonal changes and all kinds of shifts and they're breaking away from their parents which is a normal natural process so there's just a lot of stuff going on and one of the one of the ways that teens deal with this is by becoming sullen and unresponsive yep. and wrong. Uh, what I tell middle school and high school teachers when I'm training in schools is I say, as long as the child does not walk away from you, keep affect labeling, even though you're not getting any response. Mm -hmm. They're sucking it up. Yeah. It's like water on a desert for them. Yeah. And they're too afraid to show a reaction, but they are sucking it up. So yeah, just yeah. keep affect labeling. Yeah, and just keep doing it day after day after day, and all the teachers that I train come back and say, "Miraculous, complete change." It is, and I think one of the things that we notice, especially with teenagers, is that a lot of their emotion comes from a place of not feeling heard or understood. That's correct. Like, that's core to it. So what we're doing is actually satisfying that very need that got them upset in the first place right. by validating what they're feeling. And parents struggle with this because they feel like by validating it, they are agreeing with it, that they are saying, I agree why you feel this way. You're right. I'm wrong. And please explain, because I've done this in many different ways, and I want to give parents another way to hear this because it's so important. Explain how by validating, we're not agreeing or saying, I'm wrong, you're right. What is the difference between that? You are, you're simply validating how they're feeling and how they're feeling is authentic and it's real mm -hmm. and you can't deny it. Correct. You're angry and upset. That's yep. the way. Now you might want to disagree about why that is, but the fact that they are having an emotional reaction to something is something that cannot be denied. And where parents go is they argue over or they get in a fight over, why are you acting this way? You, you don't have any reason, it's stupid to be so emotional over all of this. Wrong. They are emotional. Accept it. That is where this child is at right now. Yeah. And you meet the child where they're at. And you simply reflect their emotions. Doesn't mean you agree with anything. And in fact, I teach parents never ever discipline a child until you've de-escalated that child. Because the learning will never, they'll, they'll all never get it. They'll never get it. Yep. You escalate, then problem solve. Yeah. You escalate, then problem solve. Well, and let me just repeat what you said too. You said problem solve, which is different than go punish. That's right. So you, actually, you can have consequences, but you're gonna you're gonna do it from a place of being a coach, mm -hmm. not an authoritarian parent. You're gonna say, yeah. All right, we, what you just did was wrong. Do you see that? Yes. What do you think the consequences for that should be? 
Mm. Well, come on. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, pretty egregious. What do you, what do you, if you can't come up with it, then I, I'm going to come up with it. Would yeah. you rather have me tell you what the consequences are? Or do you want to figure it out for yourself? Yeah. What, it's your choice. And they'll, they'll come up with consequences. And they're always going to be more severe than what you well, would. Well, and, and a lot of what I'm focused on too, is how do we prevent it from occurring in the next, the next time? Because there's always, there's an always underlying Right. reason for right. that behavior so we want to address I mean, that underlying yep what, yeah. was your, what was what was the process that led you to this yeah and we learned that it was an emotional process no mm -hmm. decision making involved no yeah. thinking and so then you start thinking okay so what were all the triggers that caused this to happen and get them yeah. to start becoming more self-aware yep so coaching them. but you can't it's... do that until you calm them down a hundred percent and we're calmed down right so if you find that you're getting upset with your teen, the first thing you have to do is affect label yourself. I'm really pissed, mm -hmm. frustrated. I feel disrespected. I don't feel heard. Mm -hmm. I don't feel educated or supported. I'm worried and concerned. And I feel a little embarrassed. I'm sad. I'm losing connection with my kid. Yeah. And I want connection. It's upsetting and distressing. And I feel completely unloved and abandoned by my child. I feel yeah. completely rejected. Say that to yourself. And you'll calm yourself down instantly. Now you can listen, ignore the words, read the emotions and reflect the emotions with the use statement. Yeah. I think that's so important because, you know, we were raised in the same kind of dynamic that our kids are experiencing where emotion was more, especially difficult emotions like anger and sadness. They were pushed down. They were, Absolutely. they were invalidated and shoved down to the bottom. And we, no one ever, we didn't learn to, address them well ourselves That's so when we get these emotions we're terrible usually at dealing with them and yet we're getting mad at our kids for not dealing with them well and we're not modeling how to deal with them correct so emotional, yeah, emotional invalidation is the most pervasive insidious form of abuse that exists mm -hmm. the, the ACEs study you're familiar with the ACEs study adverse mm -hmm. shelter yep. study in San Diego they the, of, of the nine adverse childhood experiences that a person can have Seven of them are emotional, only wow. two are physical. Wow. And so emotional abuse and emotional invalidation is the worst form of emotional abuse. Emotional invalidation, for those that don't know what I'm talking about, is when you tell your kids, stop crying. Don't be a drama queen. Put on your big girl panties. Rub dirty. It doesn't hurt. Yeah. Stop being a baby. Get over it. It's not that big a deal. All of those comments are, emotion are invalidating the child's emotional experience causing the child to shut down, causing the emotional mat maturation process to stop in it, dead in its tracks. And so that you get the kids get to about six, between six and eight years old, they stop their emotional development. And that's why when you see 40 year olds acting like six year olds, it's because they are six year olds in that moment, because they yeah. have emotionally matured. Yeah. Now, so, let me let me ask you this real quick, because I I'm I'm already picturing some of these people that I mean, clients that I've worked with and people I've talked to that are rolling their eyes at this because they're like, well, this is why our kids are too soft. We're making our kids too soft. And I'm just saying this because I want I to address. OK, good. I want to address this because I get this back a lot going. That's if we're allowed, we, their goal is to toughen their kids up. They don't want wrong. them to be soft. So wrong. please describe wrong. that. Wrong. Please explain that. Uh, that really I know what you're saying mm -hmm. and I get it, too. And it offends me deeply. Yeah, because you're not treating your child like a human being. Yeah. You want your child to be tough. You're not you. 
the way to make them emotionally tough is to make them emotionally resilient. Yeah. And the only way to make them emotionally resilient is to teach them how to validate their emotions so they have control over them. Yep. And if you don't do that, you think you're toughening your kids up? No, you're destroying your child. Yeah. The studies show that if you start affect labeling a child at three years old, by the time they're 12, they're two grade levels ahead of their peers academically. Mm. They've got the emotional maturity of a 21-year-old. This is a 12 years old if you do this. Yeah. And if you don't do this, then you don't get that result. So this is the, the core parenting skill is learning how to be an emotional coach for your children, learning how to label their emotions. This whole idea of this John Wayne in rugged individualism, first of all, it's a myth. It, yeah. there was never that, that rugged individualist never existed in American history. Um, if you think about it, when people came through the frontier, they had to live in communities. Yeah. They had to raise barns as a group of people. They didn't do it as rugged individualists. That's right. a big myth, a political myth that was developed in the 1920s to justify certain political beliefs. It's yeah. wrong. And, and invalidating your children's emotions is wrong. It's abusive. It's like smacking a puppy dog yeah. for no reason. Yeah. So don't do it. Instead, validate their emotions. That is the mature, enlightened, self-aware way to raise a child. Right. I'm, and I think a lot of adults, we need to go back and practice it ourselves because I think one of the reasons we don't is those emotions make us very uncomfortable as adults because we've never learned to address them ourselves and we're taught to not be okay with them. We were taught to hide them. We were taught that if we show those emotions, it made us look vulnerable and weak. And so we hide them and then we don't know how to address them with our kids. And so we just try to make our kids hide them because they make us uncomfortable, not them. That's right. right. We engage in self-soothing activities to manage our anxiety in unconsciously and in a devastating way. Yeah. Remember the Tai Chi paradox, soft to be strong, vulnerable to be powerful. No one will ever accuse me of being weak or soft. Yeah. Trial lawyer for 22 years, secondary black belt, Tai Chi master. I fly air, airplanes and helicopters, rock climber, level three certified ski instructor. Yeah. I mean, I've done a lot. And I have a lot of accomplishments and nobody would ever accuse me of being soft or vulnerable or weak. Yeah. I'm exactly the opposite. And I'm even more powerful because I've got control over my emotions. And that, can that, help other coach other people and help other people control their emotions, which is huge. My, this is so powerful. I'm devoting the rest of my life to this project. Yeah. Teaching other people how to do what I do, how to be the way I am. Yeah. And and far from being weak, it it is it is the most powerful transformational skill you can ever develop. It's foundational to human life. Yeah, I think what's interesting too is is another paradox that I, I like to explain too is authority is not the right to have respect; it's the responsibility to give respect. That's right. So it's not that you and I feel like that's another thing parents kind of confuse a little bit is that we think because we're the parent, we deserve and and should get, no matter what we do, we wow. equally just deserve respect for being the parent. And it's really our job to model what respect is and give respect so that they know. And that I see is a big danger field too, is just expecting it without earning right. or deserving it. That's right. You earn respect. Yeah. You earn loyalty. You earn trust. It's not, it, it doesn't automatically occur because of a parent-child relationship. Yeah. 
Absolutely right. Yeah. And in fact, that's dangerous because we're teaching kids that's right. um, a very dangerous take of saying, okay, I don't question. I get treated poorly. That's okay to get treated poorly. I'm supposed to be treated poorly. And now and I'm going to treat other people poorly. Yeah. Yeah. We see a lot of that now. A lot of that now. It's getting pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. Um, this is wonderful stuff. I think this is, I love the clarity that you provide with this because I think this is something that a lot of parents and just people in general and authority positions really struggle with right. and kind of have this reverse belief about how it happens and then doesn't understand why things keep escalating and getting worse and that get angry at the other person for not acting the way they should when we're not acting the way that we could to improve the situation. And so we've got to be the ones, if we're complaining about somebody else, it's time to step back and go, what is my role in this? Because I have a role in this. Absolutely. Yeah. So how do people find you, Douglas? Uh, my website is Doug Noll, D-O-U-G-N-O-L-L.com. You can email me at Doug, D-O-U-G, at DougNoll.com. And I have blogs, all kinds of blog articles describing all of this. I've got a YouTube, a couple of YouTube channels. You just Google me. You'll find out more about me than you'd ever want to know. <laughs> um, and I do, I do coaching. I coach people. I do uh, workshops for groups in, in, and teach people how to do this. And I, like I said, I've taught everywhere from maximum security prisons to the Congressional Budget Office, training senior analysts how to de-escalate members of Congress. Wow. So, yeah, uh, that we need more of that too. Yeah. So, so <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm available for individual coaching or group coaching or group workshops for parents, teachers, administrators, people in, you know, in leadership positions that need to learn how to do this. That's great. What is one thing you want to make sure parents step away with from this, from this episode? We are emotional beings, not rational beings. Do not apply logic and rationality to emotional problems. Yeah. Learn the emotional tools. They're they're easy to learn, doesn't take long to master them, and it will change everything. It really does. Thank you so much, Doug. I'm so grateful you could join us today. Thanks, Dr. Kim. And thank you, parents, for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us. I really appreciate you. If you want more information on how to best support your teens, check out my 10 top tips for raising teens at askdrcam.com slash parenting tips. Until next time, stay curious. Remember, there's always more to the story than what you see. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today on Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. Make sure to visit my website, www.askdrcam.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show again. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes and hey, why not share it with a friend too? Be sure to tune in to my next episode. And remember, parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.